Hey there, YGT listeners. I'm excited to share about another upcoming free webinar that I'm co-sponsoring with Stylus Publishing. Throughout this spring, I'm in conversation with three Stylus authors about their new books. The next webinar coming up is on April 20th at 1 p.m. Pacific time with Linda Nilsson on her new book, Creating Engaging Discussions. To learn more and register for the webinar, check out the link in this episode's show notes. I hope to see you there. You're listening to You've Got This, episode 91. Welcome to You've Got This, a weekly podcast for higher education professionals looking to increase their confidence and capacity for juggling the day-to-day demands of an academic life. I'm your host, Dr. Katie Linder. As an avid reader and writer, I'm thrilled that this episode of You've Got This is sponsored by Stylus Publishing, a leading independent U.S. publisher that focuses on books for teachers, administrators, and policymakers in higher education. YGT listeners receive a 20% off discount for all books purchased through the Stylus website at www.styluspub.com using code YGT20. So make sure to check out their catalog to see if you can find your next great read. On this episode, I want to talk about writing recommendation or reference letters. This has come up for me a few different times recently when I've had colleagues reach out who needed me to write a letter on their behalf, and I thought it would be useful to just go over some of the things that I think are kind of helpful to do as you're preparing to do this. And I know that some of us in higher education get completely bombarded and swamped with these kinds of letters at certain times of the year. And so I think it can be helpful just to kind of think of some tips and tricks and strategies to make this a more efficient process. So um, the first thing that I always do when someone asks me for a letter, whether it's a student or maybe a colleague who's going on the job market, is I ask for a couple of things. I want them to email me whatever it is that they are applying for. So it could be a job, it could be a grant, it could be some kind of award that they're going after. And I ask for like a link or an attachment to describe what is that thing. And then the second thing I always ask for as kind of a standard practice is a CV or a resume so that I can take a look at things that I might want to highlight that are maybe not in my personal experience of working with that person, but would just give me kind of an overall holistic picture of them. And then the third thing that I always ask for is, and this is especially true if it's a colleague of mine who's going on the job market is what exactly are they hoping that I will highlight that maybe their other letter writers can't? Um, And what I would like to do there is is kind of, especially for people who are kind of newer to going on the job market, um, like graduate students, is talk about how they can help shape the letters to be really good reflections of kind of their entire professional kind of repertoire of what they have that they want to be representing to the committee or to the um, you know, awards committee or whatever it might be that they're applying to. So I ask for those three things. I want to know what is it that they're applying to? What is the language of the job ad or the award or whatever it might be? What is the most recent severe resume that they have? And then what are the things in particular that they're hoping that I'll highlight? And then typically what I will do is write a draft of a letter It is relatively uncommon for me to go beyond one page, um, single-spaced, and partially this is just because of time, and I often feel like I don't have to go into extreme amounts of detail, Um, but if it's someone that I know really well or if it's a job that is, like, incredibly important to them, then I will often go a little bit extra um, and go on to a second page. And I always structure these letters in the same way. And it's actually very similar to how I would structure a cover letter for myself. 
And that is that I open by talking about how I know this person and how long I've known this person. And then I close that first paragraph with a sentence that says, um, I usually, I, I, it's very rare for me to write a recommendation letter where I don't offer kind of my full and complete recommendation of this person with absolutely no hesitation. So I will say that like right up front, that I think this person is a really great fit for you know, X job or X position or X award. And I like put that right into that top paragraph so that the person knows that I've written this letter specifically for this particular thing. And then I end that paragraph by talking about three things about the person that I think are going to make them especially good for whatever that might be, the job, the award, whatever it is they're applying to. Then I write the letter exactly like a five-paragraph essay that you would have written when you were in high school. The first paragraph talks about the first thing. The second paragraph talks about the second thing. The third paragraph talks about the third thing. And then I have a conclusion paragraph. So there's an intro, three paragraphs, and then a conclusion. And as I try to work out kind of each of the three things I want to talk about with that person, I always go into thinking about what what do I have concrete examples of that are going to work really well. So for example, I recently wrote a letter for someone where I had had the opportunity to work with this person on co-writing an article. And I'd also had the opportunity to observe this person teaching. And both of those things made it into the letter. And I was able to talk about the collaborative nature of this person's work because I'd co-written with her. And also I was able to talk about kind of how innovative her teaching was and um, how I use her teaching as examples when I talk to other people because it's just like so incredibly creative And I also was able to do a paragraph about how learner-centered she is as a professional. And I knew that from both the teaching observation and co-writing with this person. So I take each paragraph and I try to pull out something that basically only I would know or a piece of evidence that only I could provide because of my personal connection with that particular individual. And what I found is if I can't do that, if I don't have enough information about the person who's asking me to write the letter to do that, then I'm probably not going to be the best letter writer for them. And I will typically tell them that up front. And I'll say, you know, I'm willing to write a letter for you, but I don't feel like I might be the best person. And I want to tell you up front. And usually it's not because I would write like a lukewarm letter. It's because I don't feel like I know them well enough. And I've certainly had people ask me to like write tenure letters and things like that who I didn't know very well. And um, I, I gave, was honest with them and gave them the choice of, do you want me to write the letter, uh, knowing that it's probably not going to be as strong as maybe you could have from someone else who knows you better? And, and then they could kind of make that decision themselves. So once I have that intro paragraph and I go through each of those three kind of body paragraphs talking about in detail the things that I can offer in terms of evidence of, of the kinds of things that I think would make this person a good candidate for whatever it is they're applying for, Then I, in the conclusion paragraph, make sure that I say kind of unequivocally that I recommend them. And I also always um, offer to talk with the person further and give my phone number and my email. So if they want to follow up with me as a reference, they absolutely can do that. And I don't think it's, you know, difficult to understand why if you can absolutely recommend someone for for a a position that they're applying for, for something that they're... um, that they're putting in this letter for, it's going to be so much easier to write the letter if you have absolutely no reservations about this person. And you can just say, hands down, I think they would be amazing. And this is why. Um, Okay, so once I have that copy of the letter, I save it. (laughs) 
I save it in a place where I know I'm going to remember it. And a big reason I do that is because typically if somebody comes to me for one letter, they will come to me for many letters. And when I, when they do that, depending on what they're asking me to write a letter for, um, whether it's another job or if someone's going on the market, you know, you might be writing so many different letters for them. So I make sure that the letter is personalized to each position, but I will often not tweak heavily the content of the letter because I've usually crafted it pretty carefully to be personalized to that individual and to really reflect what are the things that I feel like I can best talk about about that person or what they thought I could best talk about about that person. So I save the letter. Um, And then the other thing that I sometimes do is if there are particular words or phrases that I use in one letter that I feel like could be applicable to other people, um, like if I want to talk about in in a broader way, like how someone is a really innovative teacher or how somebody is um, a really creative kind of scholarly writer, or a good collaborator, or a good project manager, or whatever it might be, I might take snippets of the letter and put it into kind of a master document that I can keep when I need to reference and kind of come up with ideas for when someone asks me to write a letter for them. And it doesn't mean that I'm giving everyone the same letter. Like, that is absolutely not the case. But sometimes you just need to kind of get some ideas of what you could say about a person And especially if you don't know the person super well. Um, And there's all kinds of reasons why you might write a letter for someone that you don't know super well. Uh, I think this happens a lot when we have like undergraduates who work in our department. Um, They'll want a letter of recommendation, but sometimes they've only worked for us for like a term. You know, like it's, it's not very long, but they just need someone who's in more of an authority position, who they report to, to write a kind of letter. So there's there's different kind of snippets and things, and I might pull out of those letters to make it a little bit easier for me to write things in the future. So once I have the letter written, um, I usually put it on letterhead for um, the person that I'm giving it to, and I just make sure that I know when exactly it is they need it, and I try to get it to them before the date that they tell me, because being on the market or applying for something where you need a letter of recommendation or reference is already hard enough. <laughs> it's already stressful enough without being concerned that, you know, your person is not going to get you the letter on time. So the other thing I will do is if um, I get like an email from like a system requesting a letter, like it's an automated email, then I will always submit it. And then when I get like confirmation that something's been submitted, I'll forward it to the person that I submitted it for so that they know Um, what got submitted and when. And then the last thing that I typically do before anything gets submitted is I will send the letter to the person I'm writing the letter for and ask them if it was what they were hoping for. And I absolutely am open to feedback. (laughs) And I make it very clear that if they want me to emphasize something that I didn't emphasize, or if they don't like the tone of something or whatever, like they need to let me know And I will happily, you know, change the letter or augment something. And I've definitely had someone come back and say, oh, you know, I was hoping you would mention this. And I just forgotten about it. I mean, it wasn't, you know, intentional that I didn't include it in the letter. And so I just added a sentence or two to make sure it got in there. So um, that's the other thing I do as kind of just a professional courtesy, because, again, if I'm writing a letter for you, it's because I really believe in you and I want you to do well and I want to make sure I'm writing the best letter possible. So I'll typically send you the letter and um, let you kind of give me feedback and then rewrite it if needed. Um, It's pretty rare that people ask me to make revisions on these kinds of things, but I'm definitely open to doing it if needed. So if you find yourself under a pile of recommendation letters or reference letters, I hope you find this helpful. 
for some tips and tricks and strategies to maybe be a little bit more efficient. And if there are other things that you do um, that you have found helpful, I would love to hear them as well. Please feel free to email me at feedback at ygtpodcast.com or tweet at ygt underscore podcast to let me know. And thanks so much for checking in with this week's YGT episode. I'm Katie Linder. I'll be back next week with another one. Show notes and transcripts for each episode of You've Got This can be found at YGT for You've Got This podcast.com. That's ygtpodcast.com. Don't forget that if you're looking for a good book, this episode of You've Got This is sponsored by Stylus Publishing. YGT listeners receive a 20% off discount for books purchased through the Stylus website at www.styluspub.com using code YGT20. To comment on today's show, suggest a topic for me to discuss, or ask a question that could be featured in a future episode, connect with me on Twitter at Katie double underscore Linder or at YGT underscore podcast, or by emailing feedback at ygtpodcast.com. You can also hear from me each week on the Research in Action podcast available on iTunes and SoundCloud and through my newsletter, The Academic Creative. Subscribe to this newsletter at katielinder.work to receive an essay focused on topics like productivity, resilience, and what it means to be a creative academic delivered directly to your inbox each week. If you find that you've got this podcast to be a helpful resource, please consider leaving the show a review in iTunes. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And tell your friends and colleagues. The best promotion for the show is definitely word of mouth. If you want to learn more about my work and projects or how to hire me as a consultant, workshop facilitator, or speaker, visit my website, katielinder.work. Thanks for listening.